We want to welcome everyone to this week's ICEJ weekly webinar. Thank you for joining us. I'm David Parsons, one of the vice presidents here at the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem and our senior spokesman. We have a great show for you this this week. Uh, we're talking, it's the, tomorrow, Friday, the June, uh, uh, excuse me, February 24th is the one year anniversary of this escalation of the, the war in Ukraine. Actually, it had been going on for about eight years before that, but, uh, you know, it really, uh, the, the Russian invasion, it just impacted the whole world and especially a lot of the Jewish people, Israel trying to get them out and here to talk about one year of urgent Ukrainian aliyah, all that the Jewish agency has been doing to bring uh, Jews home, what we've been doing to cooperate as our partner and good friend, Danielle Moore. Good to see you, Danielle. Good to see you, David. Thank you so much for inviting me. And she is a, a vice president for Israel and global philanthropy at the, the Jewish Agency for Israel. And uh, I think for us, uh, uh, this other title, very uh, near and dear to us, Director of Christian Friends of the Jewish Agency. And it's really always a pleasure to work with you, Daniela, and all that we're doing, uh, not only bring Jews home from Ukraine, but from other parts of the former Soviet Union. We're working in the Baltic states with you now. Uh, we've got an Ethiopian flight. I just heard we're going to bring a flight from Ethiopia in a few weeks. That's very exciting, but it's year-round. It's every day working with you, but we're talking about uh, the Ukrainian aliyah, and uh, it actually has been nine years now of a conflict in the eastern part of Ukraine that has spurred uh, a rise in aliyah from, uh, of Ukrainian Jews to Israel, but really over the past year. Can you give us a little background first on on? what happened 2014 and, and over those intervening years. Yeah, so thank you, David. So when we when we think about the reality in uh, Ukraine, we really have to backtrack um, at least till 2014, if not actually even further than that, if we're speaking about the fall of the communist bloc, uh, Ukraine becoming an independent state, Jewish communities within Ukraine, along with other religious communities within Ukraine, for the first time in decades, uh, finding their voice and finding their way to connect with their faith and with their um, with their roots. And for us at the Jewish Agency, this was a critical time in the late 1980s, early 1990s, to come in and to bring back really into the fold of the Jewish people all those hundreds of thousands of Jews that due to communism were not allowed to practice their Judaism or to live a Jewish life. And and part of that process, many tens of thousands, if not more, from that region did find their way to come home to Israel. Now, when you fast forward to 2014, you're looking at a period of time where the tension, the escalation in uh, military activity with the neighboring country became very intense. And actually, for the people living in that region, the Donbass region of Ukraine, it became a full-fledged war. And what it meant is that some one million Ukrainian citizens had to relocate within Ukraine. Now, being a refugee is harsh. Being a refugee in your own country is perhaps a little less. And really, this reality saw how many members of the Jewish community chose to come to Israel at this time. We were involved on the ground, along with Christian partners and friends, in conducting rescues out of that eastern part of Ukraine, out of the Donbass region, into more central parts of Ukraine. And for that, we also honored and thanked publicly the different Christian organizations that were there, and ICJ was a major part also of helping and being there with us in that evacuation. But again, where we're speaking about a specific region of Ukraine, and those who did not wish to leave the country did not have to because they could relocate more to the center of Ukraine, to Kiev, and to other parts. Since that time, there has been some sense of calm. Uh, you know, Crimea was annexed. And somehow the world and Ukraine learned to live with that. But everything dramatically changed on February 24th, 2022, really just about a year ago. And it's so hard to believe and to, when we try to remember 
what that early, early morning, 5 a.m., the residents of Kiev, Odessa, of multiple cities in Ukraine, waking up to bombing within their neighborhoods, within their city. Uh, people seeing, you know, waking up and uh, looking out the window from an eight-story uh, apartment and seeing fire outside and realizing that the war has really come. And this has changed everything. In Ukraine and in the neighboring countries, there's really no way, David, to minimize the impact of what this war has done. Yeah, um, I remember welcoming uh, one of the first uh, flights back in 2014. I went to the airport. Uh, we were sponsoring a flight. I remember several families. We have some photos of it and, and trying to interview them uh, through an interpreter and uh, they were quite uh, still in shock, you know, even then, but uh, how much more so over the past year when you have this full-fledged in invasion by the Russian army. And it's been quite a, um, a dramatic year. We're coming up on this milestone one year into, you know, the, the escalated conflict. And understand that uh, for the Jewish agency, this is a big moment. Uh, you're reaching out to thank some of the partners who have helped, you know, with the mass aliyah, not only from Ukraine, but even from Russia and other former Soviet republics. Uh, and you have uh, your new chairman, Daron Almog. He's you know, making some remarks on this. Yeah. So Donald Bog, our chairman, uh, coming to us after serving for years Israel, uh, fighting for the safety of Israel in the He IDF. was a general. He was a general. He was responsible for the Southern Command of uh, Israel. Yeah. He was the first soldier that set foot on uh, the ground in, uh, in Tebi uh, to lead the rescue of the hostages at the time. He was also the last soldier to leave that ground because he has mm -hmm. made an enduring promise to never leave anyone behind. He was also a major part in Operation Moses and the rescue that was aided by the IDF and by Israeli uh, governmental agencies together with the Jewish agency to airlift Jews out of Sudan. And he comes to this role after really serving Israeli society as a whole, uh, helping the most vulnerable children and young adults with special needs, building a special village to give them a sense of community and home. And he came to this role really not understanding, I think, that in accepting this role, uh, he would be really responsible for our activities at such a harsh time that yet we don't see the end in sight. So we have a few comments here from Don. Let's, uh, let's hear his, uh, his greeting. One year after the start of the war, a year in which the Jewish agency faced one of the most severe global crises in recent history. It was an event on a worldwide scale that shaped the Jewish agency and its activities, an event in which the Jewish agency had to reinvent itself and prepare in a different and creative way. When I started my position as chairman, I realized the Jewish Agency was, and still, is amid an ongoing global event that impacts each person in the organization in some way. I went to see our Aliyah rescue centers on the ground that we opened on the borders of Ukraine, in Warsaw and Budapest. I discovered hard-working and creative employees who walk sensitively in front of people who have lost everything. Staff who understand that in front of them are refugees who are starting their life from the beginning, whose lives had been turned upside down. I came to know that the people of the Jewish agency are acting out of a true sense of mission out of faith, and especially out of love and human compassion. But they couldn't have done it alone. I was so inspired to know that our staff have been supported for months by selfless volunteers, many of whom 
are Christian who often put their lives at risk in order to save Jews. To this Christian volunteer, the words never again are a call to action. We will always be indebted to these brave and kind men and women. Our work doesn't end in Ukraine. We have a moral obligation to take care of the refugees in their new lives in Israel. I pledge to continue working with our wonderful partners and together with the government of Israel to ensure that the new life of the refugees here in Israel will be as good a life as possible. I see it as a joint responsibility of all of us to welcome the refugees with love and open arms, just as they were welcomed by the Jewish agency staff in the absorption centers on the borders of Ukraine, to ensure they can start their lives anew in the best possible way. I believe wholeheartedly that the Israeli society as a whole will benefit from this. I want to thank all our partners from the bottom of my heart. If it was not for your support, we couldn't have acted as we did. I thank our Jewish partners and at the same time, a special thanks to our dear Christian friends who lived out the calling for Zion's sake, I will not be silent. Thank God there are too many for me to mention in this short message. To each of you, I say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Together with our hearts as one, we will continue to act for the refugees and for Kerub Levavot, bringing us together between all the Jewish people and the friends of Israel all over the world. Thank you. You say when Daron Almog came uh, on as chairman of the Jewish Agency, it was it was before the escalation there, and uh, he really had no idea what he was stepping into with this one. I think the escalation had already started, but I think that as much as you follow the news, uh, it's hard to fathom how long this tension will continue and how long these these challenges and this you know human need and suffering yeah. will continue. And yeah, so we didn't we didn't know the war would last this this long. Uh, everyone was saying the Russians would crush them and defiant Ukraine and. President Zelensky, they've stood up to it and weathered it, and but it's just created this year-long crisis of trying to rescue Jews out of Ukraine. You have some stories from uh, some of the people that have been involved in this, whether Jewish agency workers or uh, or new immigrants, uh, Ukrainian families that have moved to Israel. Can you share some of these with us? Yeah, so when, you know, when you think about what this last year has meant, uh, you know, if you just try to quantify it in numbers, it's pretty astounding because from Ukraine alone, there have been over 15,000 olim that were brought to Israel by the Jewish agency this past year. To put that in perspective, in all of 2021, there were just about 3,000. And even in the highest point of uh, the conflict in 2014, there were just about 7,000. So we're seeing here really a large exodus, also taking into account that the men, any man who is between the ages of 18 to 60, cannot leave. And that does not mean that just the men don't leave. It also means that oftentimes their wives won't leave, their children won't leave. So we're not seeing this number of 15,000 as representing all who wanted to come. We're only seeing it those who could afford to come, who could make the journey, who could part with the family members. Very heartbreaking realities, uh, people coming alone, young adults, teenagers, 
a mother coming with her daughter while her son and husband stay behind. Very, very heartbreaking reality. So if we think about what this past year has looked like as far as the Aliyah from Ukraine, we're speaking about 15,000 that came home to Israel that the Jewish Agency assisted to rescue across the borders, to bring to shelters, and to come here to Israel on specially organized flights, and here in Israel to start a new life. And when you think about how did you even achieve, you know, such a number of 15,000, all that went into it, also you need to consider that we set up some eight shelters, eight Aliyah hotels across the borders. We send in staff and volunteers to man the borders, the different refugee uh, places of, uh, of transit, and also at the hotels and beyond. At a certain point, we had over 450 staff and volunteers all across those borders. And of course, in this, we partnered very, very closely with Christian volunteers that came so selflessly to be there on the borders and to help in every way possible, also within Ukraine. ICJ was with us at every part of this way, uh, especially in advocacy and raising awareness and support and in giving generously for this rescue. The people that we will hear their stories now are people that really could have never imagined a year ago that they will be in the place that they are, that this would happen to the country that they called home. We're going to hear from three, three different stories. The first is going to be the story of Mimel. Mimel used to work for the Jewish Agency in Odessa in both areas of education and Aliyah. And when the war started, she fled with parts of her family to Poland. Over there, she worked for months assisting the refugees. And now she felt recently that she has to go back to Ukraine and to continue her work from there. And as unbelievable as it might seem, she is now back based in Odessa. And from there, she's continuing to work for the Jewish Agency, helping the Jewish community in the steps towards Aliyah and to sustaining a sense of normalcy in their Jewish life through education. The second video we'll hear is from Anna. Anna is just a 20-year-old young uh, girl who, on the day that the war started, realized that she is simply not safe and completely on her own, although she was terribly frightened and although she hardly even knew how to drive a car, found herself driving to the border and facing such situations that she would have never imagined. She since has been living here in Israel. Parts of her family were also able to come. And she is actually now working for the Jewish Agency in our call center. And she is receiving calls for help uh, for making Aliyah from Ukraine. The third video is from a beautiful family, Tanya, Anton, and their one-and-a-half-year-old son, Benjamin. Benjamin has Down syndrome. And that is also the reason that Anton, the father, was allowed to leave Ukraine. Crossing the border, waiting for hours and hours with a one-and-a-half-year-old special needs child, as I'm sure anyone can imagine, very difficult. And Anton and Tanya have been here in Israel for nearly a year, and they're on their stages of making a new life. So rather than hear this from me, let's hear it directly from them. Okay, we have a... Uh, a worker for Jaffe in Ukraine, and then this young uh, immigrant, Anna, and the story of a family that the child has Down syndrome and even the father was allowed to come. Here they are. My name is Mimel Ekoska. I'm working with Jewish Agency. I'm Director of Informal Educational Department in South Region. My main role was to organize a camp for summer camps, winter camps, seasonal camps, uh, day programs for Jewish youth from 6 years old till 18 years old. The war began, people don't think about summer camps and don't think about Sunday school for their children. They want to be in safe place, to save their children, to give them a modern life, new life and safe life. So we began uh, to help them. We have a hotel, so we settle them uh, all their families, even with pets, with grandmothers, grandfathers. We put them on the flight uh, and then uh, come to Israel. The world continues. 
air raids every day. You don't know what will be tomorrow. In the last few weeks, uh, people are really scary about what uh, can be in the future. In the nearest uh, two or three days, we don't know what can be, what uh, Russia can do, uh, how many rockets will fall on our cities. But the Jewish community, they are getting stronger. You know, everyone who stayed, uh, for example, in Odessa, they continue to build their lives. Because people need to be together. When you can't do anything, like people-to-people -people connection, it's like the main uh, resource for everyone. In these hard times, they need to be a part of the Jewish community, and we're trying to give them it. From July 2022, we, can, uh, we wanted to continue our um, activity in uh, Odessa, to continue our informal education. We continue our summer camps. We made uh, two camps in uh, uh, Riga and Yomala. It was summer camp and winter camp. Uh, here in Odessa, we also made some um, educational lessons for Jewish schools. It was a challenge. We were really scared how uh, the children will feel, but um, it was a great surprise that they just want to be a children. That they want to have a childhood, Jewish childhood, with their friends. Children are so proud to be a citizen of Ukraine, to be a Jewish citizen of Ukraine, you know, like two cultures inside and you're proud of both of them. And uh, it's so, so amazing and exciting to see these new generations, new future generations, Jewish generations. When you stop for a minute and you begin uh, to think about it, what's going on, uh, what was uh, during this year, uh, and you remember all families that send you the message, just thank you, two words, but uh, whole life in these two words. And uh, it's like I'm telling you, it's uh, like uh, uh, hearing. So uh, it's really important for me. It's like, um, you know, uh, oh, difficult, hmm? difficult to breathe. In, in these times, uh, really hard to believe in miracles. But when you see these people and this situation and people who can escape, um, and also you, you have to remember those who can't escape. But you still need to continue to believe, to believe in fairy future in miracles, uh, in God, and um, in yourself. Hi Anna, how are you? Can you please tell us about yourself a bit? My name is Anna Bershatska, I'm 24 years old and I came from Ukraine. Where do you live in Israel these days? Um, now I'm living in Jerusalem, but I spent uh, a lot of time in Tel Aviv too. Can you please share with us what have you done bef in Ukraine before the war started? I was the car manager in a restaurant. It was my new job. Um, and uh, before I was a madricha in Jewish agency in informal education. We had a lot of uh, summer camps and seminars and I worked with children, teenagers, their parents. Where did the war catch you when it started? I remember this morning I woke up in 4 o'clock and I remember I started to check my phone and it was the same messages from my family, from my friends, from all over the world. It was like the same text, really. Like, Anna, please wake up because in your country, war. I wasn't shocked because I, when I wake up, I wake up because my windows were shaking and it was really clearly sound of bombs and I, I didn't understand what that first time, like it was, I was in shock. My friend Anna called me and said, you, you have to go to me because my dad in Kiev Oblast has um, a house, it's more Which safe. Kiev region, Sub yeah. suburbs. We had there one awful night with the bombs too 
And I remembered how I tried to find a safe place. It was bathroom. And I called my mom and said, Mom, bye, I love you. It was terrible. And we didn't have a car. But And what you, you need to, to know about me is that I am a really new driver. You just got your license? Yes, this summer. Yeah. And we decided to find a car by ourselves with my friend Anna. She has a Jewish roots too. And the first day it was nothing without result, but the second day it was a miracle because we met a guy who said, I'm ready even to present you a car if you bring my child, my wife, and go abroad because they tried to do this by legs three times and it's nothing. It's very difficult. So what was next? How did you make it to the border? We decided to go to Budapest, to Hungary, because uh, this man knew that... Um, there was not really a big traffic. Like in Poland, it was more awful, like more more problems with that. And I remembered when we standing in this uh, traffic, it was very long time. Really. For how long? I think for um, for 12 hours. Yeah, and there was two lines. The first line it's line with car. And near us, like close, very close, it was a line with a woman who has a child who, with their stuff by legs. And it was very cold. I remember that it was really useful, my skills from informal education, because I used it this time. I tried to make something funny for kids, because it's very difficult to explain children why they escape the war, why they don't have their toys now. It's very difficult. Right. So when did you make it to the Budapest and where? After this, my friends from Jewish agency um, wrote me and asked, Anna, how are you? We have a safe place from Jewish agency, like the safe hotel here, and you can uh, stay with us. And after that, I was a volunteer for one month because I decided, I felt that that I need to be here now. I volunteered with children at the same hotel as the Jewish agency. Yeah, uh, it was like a little kindergarten or something like this. It was very cute. So since you made Aliyah to Israel, where have you stayed? What happened next? Now I'm with my family because they was here before and I have my job in Global Center and I have a lot of friends here, family. I don't have a plans for today. It's very difficult because I had plans in Ukraine but now it's nothing, and but for now I think that I feel good. Yeah. What do you do in Global Center of the Jewish Agency? We work with people who want to make Aliyah, but they don't know where they should start. In the critic moments, people from Russia and Ukraine, we help to manage them. To give the information, where yeah. to go, yeah. what they need to do in Israel, the first step. And how does it feel to help others to go through their way that you went yourself. I remember how I felt in this moment when I was in this traffic. So for me, it's very important and I feel something warm when people said, oh my God, Anna, thank you so much because we was lost in our minds. So for now, it's for me very important. Thank you so much. So we're here with Tanya, Anton, and one-and-a-half-year-old Benjamin. And we're here in Ranana, Israel, which is your home. But just about a year ago, your home was actually Kiev, Ukraine. What was your life like before February 24th, 2022? We were living in Kiev uh, before the war and working. I was working for international agency in, in Ukraine. and uh, I was involved in international projects in renewable energy and energy efficiency. We have already experienced uh, moving from oh. from the first war in the east uh, of the country. We moved in 2014 to Kiev, and now that's the second time we are running from from the Russian war. We were sleeping and staying sometimes for a couple of days at the basement when um, we were provided with a humanitarian corridor. 
to get to the to the west of Ukraine. We had to travel for more than two weeks to find the place because all cities were um, hosting uh, people from the central part of Ukraine, from the east. We had to sleep in the bathroom or in the corridor. We decided that it's time for us to think what is the future for our kid and what is the plan. And at that point, did you make a decision that you're going to come to Israel? Or? We decided to go to Warsaw. That was the closest point for us to move, to see uh, their, um, the, the agency and then decide how we can move uh, forward. Then we were advised not to go all together, since there were cases when uh, father was asked, uh, being asked to stay in Ukraine. We decided to move uh, and to cross different borders. And I was um, crossing the checkpoint for like p- pedestrians, like you know, walking, and uh, they both uh, went by car and to spend like six or seven hours uh, waiting for the them. Border because first the Ukrainian uh, customs office check all papers that uh, I allowed to leave, and then Polish also check everything. I was very worried because uh, he he had to sit in a chair uh, in a car for quite long time, but uh, we think that he was uh, he wasn't a team. He he understood that he had to behave like this, and he was just he was quite calm, sitting, playing, and waiting for us to be all together again. Yeah, I waited for them, and then we uh, joined together. And that's how we crossed and left Ukraine. So we came at night. There were members of the team who helped us to check in, helped us with the food, and the next day they helped us to set, you know, the list what is needed. And we uh, that there were, was the first time when we uh, could uh, sleep well, you know, not running anywhere, not uh, hearing any sirens. sirens uh, yeah. So it was the first time in weeks that you felt safe, that you knew that Benjamin yeah. was safe. Yeah, and we were given uh, the permission to fly and start here the process with the, through the ministry, and that's how we ended up in uh, in Israel, and we felt a lot of support from uh, different people, from different, uh, even cities, from different cities. A lot of people were helping us from the agency. Now we are more or less settled. Benjamin is having his social life. And I understand, uh, Anton, that you even started uh, working part-time for the Jewish agency? Yeah, so uh, Jewish Agency started a new project with Ukraine. Mm-hmm. It's uh, shelter and, uh, Shelters Improvement. Mm-hmm. And I was invited as a project coordinator for Ukrainian communities. What do you think was the most important thing that helped you during this year? Support from the people, from other people, and uh, understand that you're not alone. There are so many people around us who are ready to help, give an advice, support, um, even talk to you, even listen to you. And hopefully you can you can really build a good new home for yourself here in Israel. And I know that so many people that will be watching this, they will feel close to you and they will feel that they want to help and that they want to help people that are like you and that maybe their voice was not heard at this time. But knowing that, you know, that Tanya and Anton and Binyamin are just one family that at this point need help and that the future hopefully will be very good for you. Thank you for your support and help. It's very important what you do and all your projects have a big value for Ukrainian people. Thank you for sharing those stories, Danielle. They're very uh, moving and uh, I tell you this, I, I can remember some of the stories of the, the Ukrainian immigrants over the past year that are very dramatic, very touching. There was one uh, girl that um, I think she had been injured in a bombing. Her leg was hurt and they had to evacuate her out. She, you know, if they just didn't get her to treatment, she probably would have died. But she, they strapped her uh, into the back of a car on like a board and she was laying down flat and drove all kinds of hours through checkpoints. This is at the 
height of the war where the Russian advances were the furthest, and somehow they got through all these checkpoints all the way to Moldova, and uh, everywhere she was stopping to get medical treatment, they said they would going to have to amputate her leg. And in Moldova, the, the doctors, you know, said, there's no way we can save your leg. We're going to have to amputate. But someone was there, uh, a Jewish person, and said, I can get you into Israel and they can save your leg. And that's what happened. It was quite dramatic. And there was another um, uh, immigrant uh, from Ukraine this year that once she got here, she was getting settled. She had to leave her daughter behind with her parents. They were sort of separated. She couldn't, you know, get to her daughter and, and get, she came herself hoping they could get the daughter later. And about two weeks here, she's heading for all palm for Hebrew class. She gets run over by someone and breaks her leg and no job. Doesn't oh, know yeah, really a, a, a sad story. And we uh, stepped in to help her through that hard time, and uh, she needed someone to help help out, help her out around her little apartment. And it was uh, it's quite dramatic stories. But I I've uh, been there for some of these uh, flights of Ukrainian Olim coming in, and it is quite um, unusual that it's it's um, you know children, mothers, grandparents. That's, that's mostly what you see, and you know, and when you speak of, uh, of grandparents, uh, they think about the Holocaust survivors. Yes. Think about the fact that out of the 15,000 or names, there have been over 600 Holocaust survivors that have come to Israel. What does it mean to a person that, firstly, is of that age and is so difficult to make this kind of journey? and to start a new life in a new country. I mean, you know, I'm in my 40s. I think it would be very hard for me to start a new life somewhere else. So that alone, if you're in your late 80s or 90s. But also just the fact that they've been through war. They've been through this threat. They've been through this feeling that somebody is coming after them and having to flee their homes. There, there were a few Holocaust survivors that I also met along this journey and that I was on the flight with to Israel. And their stories are just hard to believe. A 95-year-old man that somehow his neighbors uh, put him on a on a rescue bus, and his son flew from Israel to meet him in our hotel in Warsaw. He was so disoriented. He hardly ate anything for almost a week. He was weak beyond belief. And somehow when we met him, he was smiling and happy and saying that he's coming to the Holy Land. Uh, a lady, uh, Rita, whom, uh, whom a colleague of mine found amid thousands of refugees across the border in Poland and somehow recognized her from a faded passport photo that her granddaughter in Israel shared with them. He found her and he was able to bring her to Israel. And every time she hears his name or thinks about him now, she says, you are my angel, you saved me. And she has to get used to the fact that here in Israel, the weather is so much warmer and she needs to drink a lot, you know, much more than what she drank in Ukraine. You know, all these little, little stories, you know, people that come with very frail medical situations and you have to leave for them a medical evacuation. All these things are just, they, they're little pieces of this huge tapestry that makes you realize that it's so complicated. You have to always see the big picture. You have to always also see the individuals and their needs. And in space of, of evil and of lack of humanity, you have to be there to be at your utmost kindness and at your utmost human moment to do everything you can. And to us knowing that, uh, that ICJ has been with us throughout this time and that, you know, despite the story being old news to so many, you are realizing that it's not all new and that for the people within Ukraine, this is their life and their threats and their challenges that they're facing. And you are here to continue with lesson. Mm, yeah. I think um, when we, uh, at the end of the year, when we look back at all the, uh, we, we assisted around 300 elderly Jews in making Ali out of Israel. These were people who were in wheelchairs or gurneys, needed special 
assistance, elderly, uh, 75 and older. I think there were around 300, 200 were survive, Holocaust survivors. I think there was one that had uh, even survived the Babinyar massacre, was one of the few people that managed to hide under all those bodies and stay alive. And it was quite, you know, quite a story. And uh, um, I think a hundred of those survivors were through the Jewish agency and a hundred were through a separate effort that we sponsored of uh, we, we rented ambulances and special vans to evacuate some of these people in, in some of the war there was fighting going on and, really uh, shelling all around. Some of the videos they sent us, you could shelling and the shooting in the background are very brave. But, uh, uh, you know, Daniela, we have um, a special retirement home for Holocaust survivors in Haifa. And mm-hmm. for about two years, we've had a new building sitting there, uh, almost finished, almost completed, almost had an occupancy permit. We just needed the elevator put in. And for some reason, the bureaucracy or whatever, it got delayed, delayed, delayed. And finally, the elevator came. And, uh, you know, you're wondering why the delay. We could put people in there. Once we were able to put people in there, all of a sudden we had 17 Holocaust survivors from Ukraine who were escaping this war that had room to move right in. And so we sort of saw the hand of the Lord in that, that he kept this building open for some of these folks. And it's been really one of the most touching parts of this whole story, these survivors. Yeah. And, you know, we we also need to be mindful that, you know, this war is it's not just impacting one country or one people. It's impacting really the entire region. And we see that also very clearly when we look at the numbers of Aliyah from countries in the area. And we see that from Ukraine and the entire region, we're already speaking about more than 60,000 that arrived in Israel in 2022, bringing the total number of Aliyah in 2022 to nearly 75,000, 74,915 to be exact. That, that was almost highest. triple. That was almost triple the year before. Yeah. It's tripled over the year before, and it's the highest LAR number in 23 years. Yes. So if you consider, you know, the 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 resources that are needed for this, the infrastructure, the the, the housing solutions, the flights, I mean, everything that goes into making this possible, and then also considering the journeys, you know, each one of these 74,915 people. Is a world unto their own with hopes yes. and fears, dreams and, and, and challenges. And to realize that we're, we're on the part of history where we're doing good and that we're helping is, is a huge privilege. And it's also a huge duty. Yeah. I think we assisted with over 6,000 last year, according to, uh, um, our, our our records, which uh, was our highest number probably in 30 years or so since the mass Soviet uh, Jewish Aliyah uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Union in the 1990s. And um, uh, you mentioned the sort of wider region and the impact. I know some of these Ukrainian Jews just managed to escape, get out, and come to Israel and started applying for Aliyah from here, are they being processed and they've made a firm decision to stay, maybe wait for their husbands to come? There are those that because they feel that waiting for a few weeks or sometimes even a few months until they can get their Aliyah visa, they feel that that is taking too big of a risk. They want to come to Israel as soon as they can. They're afraid of the Iron Curtain falling once more. And so they choose to come to Israel as tourists with a tourist visa and here in Israel changing their status and, and starting the journey to become citizens, to become a name after they arrive in Israel. So we work with both groups of, uh, of people and try really to find the best solution for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I know the, there's been an even higher number of, of Jews coming from Russia and some of the other former Soviet republics. And I know it's sensitive for you to talk about it because you're facing 
certain legal difficulties in Russia. But uh, this war has, uh, I think, one um, one of the leaders of the Russian Jewish community said that a third of all affiliated Jews in Russia have left over the past year. That's quite a, an exodus. Yeah. Like, like I said, there are, these are very significant changes and, and tidal waves, tsunamis of, of impact that we're seeing in the entire region. And it means that we also have to be prepared to adapt our work and how we are assisting the Jewish communities accordingly. Okay. We don't know, you know, people are expecting an escalation here on the one-year anniversary that the Russians are going to try and start an offensive, both for its symbolic value one year in, but also to try and gain some more ground before the Ukrainians get some of these new Western tanks and other weapons. And we don't know where it will go, but I think the a lot of the work now for you is in the absorption phase when it comes to Ukrainian and, and others uprooted by this war, uh, helping these Jews get settled in Israel. Can you speak a little about that? And do you expect a lot of the husbands and fathers to be coming now? So what we what is very clear to us is that Aliyah is just one part of the journey because once you land at Ben Gurion Airport, it's not just about saying, you know, here I am and, and starting, you know, your life with a red carpet. We know that as it has been said, you know, in the Jewish community for centuries, that the land of Israel is purchased um is purchased with difficulty. And so every person who comes and makes Aliyah, on the one hand, it's a huge, exhilarating moment. On the other hand, there is a lot of tough work on the path to immigration. Moses led us in the desert for 40 years. And there is a certain stage of, uh, you know, a generation of a desert when they arrive here in Israel, bridging those gaps and becoming, you know, citizens of the country. So for us, it's very critical to be able to offer housing solutions in our absorption centers and partnership with municipalities with, with whom we work. It's very important to provide professional training, and this is something that we've partnered with ICJ on for a number of years already and also increased our partnership on, whether it's in areas such as high-tech or whether it's even um, uh, being trained as bus drivers, which is a huge need here in Israel. Israel needs about 10,000 bus drivers. I don't know if you know that data. But really to find ways to help them start a new life. And this is so significant, I think, also in the eyes of a person that is coming to this with faith, because as it is said in Jeremiah 32, verse 41, I will plant them assuredly in this land with all my heart and all my soul. So to us, the planting in the land that God promises that he'll do with his heart and soul is a critical part to Aliyah. And also, I think that you know, David, this is the only place in the entire Bible where it is said that God will do something with his heart and soul. So yes. this shows us that the klita, that the integration, that starting a new life, that being planted in the land, is a critical element in this journey of Aliyah. Yeah, I, I, I looked at the Hebrew word there for plant, and it means to affix to really root them in the ground. It's about as strong a word as you can use for a permanent planting in the land yes. of Israel. Yes, it's a great verse. Uh, now, I um, I think the hardest part of, of Aliyah integration is learning Hebrew. It's not the easiest language to learn. I've been here 25 years, and to my shame, I'm not so good at it. Loto still not the best at it, but... Uh, um, you know, we uh, we have these Holocaust survivors from Ukraine that have arrived over the past years, uh, 17 of them living in our retirement home, and they're all taking uh, Hebrew classes together. It's quite interesting. We bring in a Hebrew teacher, and uh, they're coming together to learn Hebrew, and they're in their 80s, these folks. But uh, really, you know, that's after – for decades and decades, especially under communism, being separated, forcefully separated from your faith and Jewish faith and culture. This is a precious moment. And we also, um, they had just arrived in the country a few weeks, months before, and uh, in the elections in October, we took them to, to vote. 
And that was a big special day for him. So that's part of the planting. You immediately go and vote in the Israeli elections. Yeah. You, you, you land and you immediately become a citizen with all the rights that come along with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we thank you for your time, Daniel. There's so much we could talk about. There's the, uh, you're actually, the, the Jaffe is working in Turkey with the Jewish community that has been displaced there by the horrible earthquakes. And uh, we're working with you to make sure those people are settled elsewhere. We can't say elsewhere is, but uh, they're going to get good and rooted and planted themselves. We'll put it that way. And uh, we've got the Ethiopian flight coming up, the Baltic uh, countries. The ICJ is assisting several hundred coming from there this year. And, of course, still from Ukraine and other Soviet, uh, former Soviet republics. It's a lot to do. Uh, it's great to be in partnership with you in, in this prophetic in-gathering of the Jewish people that's still happening it's a shame to see wars and tragedies and things like this, natural disasters uh, that sort of spur more aliyah. You'd rather it be the, the pull factor, the draw of Israel and what an amazing country it is. And there's a lot of that in it. But uh, thank you for your partnership. Thank you for updating us on this last year of the urgent Ukrainian aliyah. Thank you very much, David, and really a huge thank you to ICJ for your leadership, for your vision, for your ability to reach really thousands and thousands of believers all around the world who want to not just be on the sidelines, but want to take an active part and to be part really of this prophetic journey and blessing of the Jewish people. We know that some 80 years ago, in those very countries, in those very regions of the world, the Baltics, all the names that you just mentioned, the reality was so different, so tragically different for the Jewish communities. And today, thank God, we're in a different place. And we're thanking ICJ, our Christian friends, for being with us every step of this journey. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, and. Uh... Next week, we'll be back on Thursday again at 4 p.m. Jerusalem time for another ICEJ weekly webinar. We'll have an exciting topic for you then. I believe it's going to be on Purim, this holiday that's coming up soon. And uh, also uh, reminding you that next Wednesday, 4 p.m. Israel time, we have our global prayer gathering, join Christian leaders from around the world. We're going to be talking about the Turkey earthquake again, praying for the people there, several other urgent issues that we need to pray about. But God is the God who answers. He hears and answers our prayers. So join us then. All the best. Shalom from Jerusalem.